Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray your way. Help us to understand. Help us to understand what a privilege it is to talk to you and the price that was paid willingly so that we could have this intimate relationship with you. God, it blows my mind that at this moment that the throne room door is, is thrown wide open because of the cross. And we can come in with confidence, boldly. Father, teach us to understand your heart, what it is you want us to ask of you. Lord, we love you. Um, forgive us for taking for granted this awesome privilege and not taking full advantage of the opportunity constantly to be in your presence aware of your love, your grace, your power, your wisdom that you so graciously want to impart to us. Oh, Father, forgive me. I'm so frail and fickle in this area, Lord, and yet I am so thankful for the privilege of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So baby T, also known as Theo, is with us. That is a huge celebration. Super excited about that. How do you feel about that? <laughs> How's Emily doing? Good, good. Super, super thankful for that. Super thankful for that. Um, how's your prayer life? Um, I feel so inadequate on this subject. Um, not because I don't love praying and enjoy praying. I feel almost um, like I might even have the gift of intercession because I, I don't struggle with praying. I, I enjoy it thoroughly, but I still don't feel I pray enough. I still don't feel like I give God uh, enough of my heart and my, my life and my intentions. Guys, I want you to imagine for a moment, um, <laughs> what, if, what if you couldn't pray to God? Can you imagine? I mean, I think a lot of times we take things for granted uh, until they're gone, like our health. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're so grateful just to feel normal, you know. Um, and uh, just my, my heart is super introspective right now based on all of the... Do you know that there's, just in the New Testament alone, there's, there's, uh, there's 216 accounts of prayer. Um, and for me... Um, I just, I feel, I, I don't know that there's been a stage in my Christian, my 30 years walking with the Lord that, that I can say, man, I was, I was, I, I really kind of was, feel like prayer was, I, I had to hold a prayer at this stage of my Christian walk. And even now I just feel so like that I just don't give enough of myself to the Lord in prayer. And I feel like I, I take for granted this incredible privilege to get to come into his presence. And oftentimes, it's not with thanksgiving and adoration. It's with 
necessity and need and struggle and pain and on behalf of a... And man, God welcomes all of that, doesn't he? Welcomes all of it. But the question I was asking this week is, what does God want me to pray for? What, is, what does the Lord want, want me to ask? It, it had me thinking a lot about my relationship with Sheba because... You know, we talk a lot about like reading relationally when we're in the scriptures, understanding that this is a love letter. This isn't, this isn't just theological text. This is God revealing his heart, his will, his way to us. And, um, and so do we pray relationally? When we pray, do we realize that God's desire in sending his son to die in our place was so that we could have this intimate relationship where he could impart himself to us, where he could truly write his, inscript his revelation of himself on, on our hearts. And so it, it just caused me to ask, like, you know, God, what is... What is prayer from your perspective? What is it you, what's your hope in prayer? What's your desire in these moments that we have together? I, I had the privilege of going to England for 10 days a while ago on a John Wesley Heritage tour. Uh, Cindy, I think you did the same tour. Um, and, uh, and the whole point of the tour was, you know, from a from a Methodist perspective, to have kind of a Wesleyan understanding and, and the roots and the heritage of these two men, Charles and John Wesley, that had such, such a rich impact uh, on, on, on American Christianity or, or the Christian faith. And, um, and what we found was it really was a mother that ended up having 28 kids. <laughs> um, not all of them lived, um, but she, she taught them all the scriptures, Latin, all these things. But, um, but I remember the thing that, that, that I was left with after all these abbeys and all this experience, which was rich, Shakespeare's home and learning what a threshold really is, that it held back the threshing. And all these cool little things was being in John Wesley's bedroom and seeing he, that he had this prayer room off his bedroom. And... And it was such a powerful moment to see that, 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 that there was such dedication and intention in getting alone with the Lord in prayer and in his word, that there was space dedicated to that. And if you read his memoirs, you know, this was a man that was almost made fun of for, for being methodical, the Methodist. You know, like he was so disciplined. L small groups was something that really kind of came out of his philosophy and approach but this was a man that loved spending time with the Lord and we know apart from him we can do nothing that that it really is an overflow of his presence in our life that becomes anything that we can label as ministry or fruit in our life and so we know that prayer is is essential and that what Christ purchased for us in this intimate relationship with him, um, that there's, I believe, a desire on God's part that, we would, that we, would, we would take advantage of these moments to have these intimate conversations that really change us 
Because I believe sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, prayer is trying to get God to see it our way. Prayer is trying to get God to, to, uh, to kind of do it in our timing. Um, can't you see, God, this is what I need? When the reality is, I believe that God's desire, and it's his good heart, it's his daddy's heart for us, is he wants to impart himself to us. He, it's not about us getting what we want, but maybe what him getting what he wants, which is us. And, and really acknowledging the truth that the treasure isn't getting the thing, the stuff, the, even the, the healing, which all that is, I mean, I believe God is a God that's postured to bless his kids. He's the good gift giver. You know, even though you are evil, know how to good give good gifts, how much does my heavenly father give the good gift of what? The Holy Spirit himself. There's nothing better that God could give us. Let's, let's really kind of ascribe to this truth. It's so important in our perspective and prayer that there's nothing better that God could give us than for him to give us more of him. And that's what he longs to impart to us in prayer. Are we asking for that? Are we postured for that? Are we hungry for, for that? Because I believe that's what the scriptures want us to understand. So, listen to this verse, Jeremiah 33.3. We used to tell students that, that this, you know, J-E-R-E-333 was God's phone number. Um, and the reason, that was just a, a way of helping them to memorize this verse. But listen to what this verse says. He says, call to me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Like God wants to reveal, the Christ is a revelation of God's ultimate mystery and he wants to continue to impart the wonder of his love, the mystery of his grace to us. And it, it's really more about us being still and sitting before him in prayer. Did, did Jesus model this for us? I think so often we really have to ask ourselves, what, how did Christ, like in the teachings, where do we see Jesus practically showing us this? I mean, when he says, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, we see it on the cross, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think we see a life that is, that is completely dependent on the Father and its, and its expression is prayer. Uh, in Mark 135, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, there's the first step, right? Left the house. I mean, you gotta, you gotta remember, he was always living in community. Uh, left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. I mean, Jesus' disciples in Luke chapter 11, verse one, we, we see this, and I know I've mentioned this many times, but this is the only thing we see in the Gospels where his disciples says, teach us something. I mean, Jesus was always teaching them, but this is the only time that they ask Jesus specifically to teach them something, and they say this, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray, but teach us to pray. And he does. He, he says what we're going to look at in just a moment here. He says, when you pray, pray this. 
I, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty, pretty awesome that God is teaching us how to pray. Jesus is telling us, this is how I want you to talk to me. These are the things that I want you to talk to me about. You know, we've, we've said in, in weeks past, as we wrapped up last year's theme, devoted, uh, and we talked about we're, we're devoted to God's word, we're devoted to one another, the fellowship, we're devoted to the breaking of bread, being in rich community with one another, and rich community with God. And then finally, devoted to prayer. And this year, we, we began a new theme that the Lord's given us, a new, a new missional practice that, uh, that starts with begin in prayer. Why do we begin in prayer? Why do we see that as, a, as a, a precedence in Scripture that we begin in prayer? Because we know, we declare that we are dependent on God and we're not trying to do our thing, we're trying to do His thing. And we're so, we're so, it's so necessary that we do it in His timing, His way, by His will, in His strength. Because we know it's not by power or by might, but by my spirit. And it says to us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we're, we're now clothed with power from on high for the purpose of being a witness. Like this is what we're empowered to do. You know, two things I, I, I remember from last week's message was, you know, when we think about the catalyst in the gospel going to the Gentiles, Right? I mean, what, what is the roots of this, this, uh, this experience happening? It's Peter on a rooftop on the Sea of Galilee in this town of Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house, and he's just doing what he does at noon every day, which is what? Praying. That's kind of challenging, isn't it? That if he's in Jerusalem, he's at the temple praying. If he's elsewhere, he's going to find a place to pray. And, and I, I, I feel like um, that's a discipline that would be so incredibly beneficial for us. I don't think disciplines are meant to be, you know, spiritual rituals as much as they, they're meant to be. I mean, are disciplines helpful for athletes? Are they beneficial in other aspects and areas of our lives if we have a goal or an aspiration? I mean, disciplines... Uh, especially if we see them modeled in Christ's ministry and life. And we don't only see them min modeled by Jesus, who is the pinnacle of, of example for us, but look at Daniel. I mean, faced with the, the, the consequence of death, really, he's, he's literally being manipulated because of his devotion to God in prayer, that they know that Daniel's going to do what he does multiple times a day and they try to trap him in it and Daniel sets that aside to continue to pursue the Lord out of his radical dependency and rich discipline. And I, I, I think discipline is something that we should, we should ascribe to, but, but it, should, it should have the motivation of, 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 of intimacy with God. It should have that goal or aspiration. But you see Peter here, he's, he's in his discipline of prayer. He's there. He's, he's there even though he's tired, obviously. He's there even though he's hungry. Both of these seem to come together in a dream about, <laughs> about food. 
and Peter and his three-time experience. But Peter gets, gets, gets some information that's critical. And he, and he follows through in that. And isn't it funny that Cornelius, it's, it's almost providential. Cornelius, the, the day earlier at 3 o'clock, what's he doing? He's praying. Because that's what he does at 3 o'clock. I'm sure, guys, I, I, I think these people had jobs too and had responsibilities. I mean, he was a centurion. He had 100 soldiers underneath of him. I'm sure the, the, there was things he, he needed to be doing, but, but this was a part, at 3 o'clock, this is, this is what he did as a devout follower of God and a generous man, it says. And this is the catalyst that God brings to radically different nations that have animosity towards one another. This is how God reveals that, you know, call nothing unclean that I'm, I'm about to make clean. And God pours out his spirit upon the Gentiles. And this, is all, this all comes to fruition through, through prayer. So what about, what about your prayer life? How's it going? God is, God, I believe that God loves to hear from his kids. I think, he, I think we have to really put this in a relational context. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier I was thinking about my relationship with Sheba. Like, I have a gauge. I'm sure you do. If you, you, know, if you have an intimate friendship or you're married, I mean, you have a gauge for, for how, how close you are. You know, if there's, if there's some distance between you, you have a gauge for that. And if Sheba and I were to just jump in the car and, and sit next to each other for six hours on a drive somewhere, that's really not going to make any impact on that relational distance that we're experiencing. It requires some conversation. And it requires some intentionality to, to kind of to be vulnerable, transparent, open, uh, willing to say, is, is everything good? Are you okay? Like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling some, some distance here. Do you have a gauge like that with the Lord? Because I'm going to tell you, th this is the good thing. When, when two broken people are struggling with relationships, sometimes it's just fatigue. Sometimes it's just busyness. Sometimes it can be a litany of things that, or, or just, just stuff, you know. But with God, he's never tired. He's never, he's never going, you know, I just don't have time for you today. His phone is never busy. And he, his intention in his heart is always that he's ready to, to listen and to receive and to impart himself. And so let's, you know, if you, if you come away from the sermon today, after all the preparation this week, um, I'm laying there real early this morning. The Lord woke me up about 319, well, 319 this morning. And, and, and just laying there and thinking, and I'm like, man, I, I don't want to give you a bunch of tools. I had a bunch of tools planned. You know, keep it simple, stupid, you know, all this stuff. And, and just like, you know, just all these, these five steps and, you know. And, and I'm thinking, man, we've heard all of that. Do you know, I look back through our sermon series, and over the last 14 months, all of us in the teaching team, and we've, we've taught on prayer three times already. We've, we've emphasized prayer. But, but guys, it's not about getting another tool to pray more efficiently or effectively. It's, it's, it's really a matter of the heart, isn't it? Isn't it? And, and it's, it's also a matter of understanding that, that God loves you. 
The, cr- the cross declares, screams, proclaims that for, for no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life. That's the greatest expression. I mean, God has demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God wants you to know that you are loved. And this loving God, I mean, I think sometimes we think about prayer as being some religious activity. And, and really what it is, is the God of the universe has time for us and, and wants us to draw near. James says that to us. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Because see, he's not the one that tends to wander off. We're the sheep that, that tend to stray. And, and one of the things that's so compelling for me in prayer is that God loves to talk to us. God, God I mean, if you look at the cross and, and see the price that was paid in order for us to come boldly and confidently into his presence, my goodness, does that not declare God's heart and intention and desire? And so what I want for us to come away with today is, is just to know that, man, God wants to be with you. He wants to hear from you. He wants, sure, he wants you to declare your needs, your desires, your cares, pray for others. Yes, all of that. But, but in the midst of that, are we just, are we just, Letting God know that we love him. Have you ever had a friend that, I use that word loosely, that like any time that you're together, it's, they just want something from you. You know, it's, it, it just seems so hollow and empty. I mean, do we forget that this is a relationship with God? And that that relationship is marked by the intimacy and the conversation and the openness and the transparency. And when we pray, are we saying, God, you know, I might, I might declare that these are some things that I, I, I need, but ultimately I acknowledge that what I really need is more of you. I just really, I really need more of you. Because I think about it, my relationship with my wife Look, I mean, like, I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want from her anything more than I want her. Like, that's the treasure in our marriage is, is, is us, is the one another, is the relationship. And I think so often we can get, we can get so self-focused that we start to turn it into, like, we have a list for God today. And I, I think that there's room for this. Um, one of the things that Sheba and I seek to do is we, we seek to have rhythms of rest and rhythms of breaks to, to make sure that we are intentional about um, keeping our relationship strong and vibrant. And uh, how, are you, how are you doing at that? Do you, are there moments that you take and you're just like, you know what? I need, to, I need to climb a mountain and sit with the Lord today. You know, Jesus told the disciples, hey, you guys go ahead and get in the boat. Um, they were buffered by winds. They were up all night. Okay, but, but like he went and climbed a mountain and, and just spent time with the Father. Kept them in a holding pattern so he could have some time with the Lord, with his daddy. 
um, we see that even before he chose from these folks that were following him, before he chose the 12 that were probably as surprised as everybody else was that they were the ones, that he, he sat up on a mountain all night long and, and, and listened to the father's choice and then went down and selected those, those men. Um, have, you know, one of my friends used to call it Daddy Date Day. And he would literally set a day aside and go and spend an entire day with the Lord. Um, I think that would be a good discipline for us to, to put into place in our lives where we, where we set apart time to spend with the Lord in solitude, not in isolation because we're not by ourselves, but to spend time with him. Give him the significant time that's necessary for him to replace or to manifest himself in us, to reveal himself to us. That's a, that's, a hard, that's a hard job on his part. Let's acknowledge that. He's the potter, we're the clay, and we're, we're not always pliable. But we need to be in places and moments and times where we just, we just want the heart of the Father. We're not coming with any other motive or intention because God knows our heart. I mentioned earlier that um, 216 occurrences in the New Testament where prayer, and, and if, you, if you take a hard look um, you know, I've listed all these prayers that Paul, that Paul prayed for the church because it's, it's so selfless. I mean, it's selfless to the point that it's like, I'm willing to suffer that you might be saved. I mean, it, he says that over and over again in different ways and forms. Oh God, that you would reveal your love to them. These are the things that Paul prays for. Well, our passage for this morning, morning is, uh, is Matthew, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And I'm going to just, I encourage you, spend some time today just, just kind of diving into this and letting God impart this to you in, in intimate ways. Um, I'm going to try to just bring out some subtle nuances here. But let me read the passage through and then we'll break it down. Jesus says, and when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, 
neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So let's look at this. First of all, it's interesting to me. Verses 5, 6, and 7 all start the same way. It's not if you pray, it's what? Right? So it says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the actors, the hypocrites, the pretenders. Right? For they love to stand. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, the churches, or at the street corners that they may be seen by others. What's he, what's he addressing here? The hypocrisy of what? Religion. Religion, right? I mean, we're, we're, they're seeking what? The accolades of men. Right? The, this, this is pretense. Why? Because they're not really praying. We, we need to be careful when we're praying in public. Uh, and what we need to be careful about is what is our intention and who is our audience? Does that make sense? Like, who are we praying to? And, to, and guys, compassion sometimes can motivate us to want to pray things for the benefit of those that are in pain or hurting or struggling or sick. But our prayers are to an audience of one. And, and we really need to take a moment as we, as we, first of all, just acknowledge what was, what was paid in order for me to do this. <laughs> let's, let's, before we even pray, every moment, just acknowledge, wow, this privilege came at a cost. And then as we enter in, let's, let's acknowledge that there's nobody else worth uh, our, our, our praise or our accolades than just coming before the Father in an expression of surely adoration, gratitude, thanksgiving, and just because of who he is, confession. But by no means is it, is it an opportunity to, to, to prove something or to, to generate some reward from men because we get some praise for for pretending to pray because he goes on to say truly I say to you they have received their reward they've already gotten their accolades but here again he says but when he doesn't say if you pray he says when you pray but when you pray go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret why why do we think that that's I mean this is God telling us how to talk to him why, why would he want us to? Because surely this does not exclude public prayer. This is not what he's saying. He's not saying you can't pray in community. We should never do that. It's really like the whole Sermon on the Mount is really about intention, motivation. Like what's, what's our heart after here? And, but should we, is Jesus saying that there's, there should be occasion? There should be opportunity and does it not clarify our motives when we're just praying to him in secret doesn't that clarify our motives when we're just we're just we're we're we're, we're doing this i mean i think that praying is one of the greatest statements of faith i mean when you pray <laughs> that's that you don't do that unless you believe that there's someone listening and that he has a love posture towards you and has the potential and power to do something about what you're petitioning him about. And God says, do it in secret because it clarifies your motives. 
And your Father who sees um, in secret will reward you. That there's some sort of reward that is... God, God wants to reward those, let's just put it that way, that come to him in secret and set aside time. Um, how many of you have seen War Room? How many of you were challenged by War Room in your prayer life? Um, me too. Me too. And, and look, um, I, I think there's great value in having, like John Wesley, having a place that is set aside for prayer that that is, that, that, and there's some discipline to the time in which we do those things. There's some rhythm to it. And let me tell you why I believe that. If, if, you, have, if you have any rhythm to the place that you eat at and the time that you eat, what you will discover is, is by is sitting in that place at that time, your body actually has an appetite. It cultivates that, that rhythm, that, that discipline cultivates an appetite, an expectation that your body has based on that rhythm. Does that make sense? And when we follow that same pattern with the, the, the rhythms of prayer and quiet time, which, which ultimately has the goal and objective of just seeking the Lord. Ultimately, it has the objective of getting to know and, and letting him like, impart himself to us. Guess what happens? And, and, and I've, I know this is true, is we, we come having this spiritual appetite. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And, and there's, so, guys, I'm not looking, I'm not looking to, to encourage religious activity or rituals, but I, I genuinely believe that we've seen di- this, this enacted in, in Daniel's life in Jesus' life, in, in others, in patriarchs' lives, that, that spiritual disciplines. Let me, let me share a book with you that, I, that has been, been really helpful for me. Um, Richard Foster wrote a book, um, Celebration of Discipline. And there's a 20th anniversary edition that's out that his editions are excellent. And I, I really believe that it's one of the best books on spiritual disciplines. Why? Because he keeps the, the main thing the main thing. It's not about the discipline. It's about what the discipline allows us to come, you know, I- the purpose of the discipline is to come into his presence, to draw near to God, to, to create opportunities where God can impart himself to us. Does that make sense? I highly recommend that book. Very, very, very helpful. Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster. Um, there, and he, he actually has a book on prayer too, just on prayer. Um, really, really good. Um, so verse 7, and, and again he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Um, man, the Gentiles get bumped a lot, right? Um, so do not, do not heap up empty phrases, um, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Um, Okay, is this saying we should never pray long prayers? That's not the point. Again, it's about intention or heart. And empty phrases. Empty of what? Empty of heart. That's exactly right. It's just, it's just a bunch of words. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up in, some, in, in denominations and some high church experiences where, where prayers were just written and read. And... and I don't know if you're as guilty as I am on this, on this account, but 
I've said the Lord's Prayer and not thought about what I'm praying. Have you? And there's a danger in that because it's hypocritical. It's, it's empty. It's hollow. I mean, when, you, when we look at the Lord's Prayer here, man, Jesus is telling us some pretty important things. And when we state them, our heart should be engaged in what we're saying. Verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Do you know what God believes we need? More of Him. And, and more of Him. And, and that's the truth. Um, and so God knows what we need, and the, the, that's good news for us. Because many people will ask, well, if God knows what we need, then why ask? See, the problem is this reveals our motive and intention. We're treating God because now we're just coming to him for our needs. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. Jesus came and asked. But ultimately, we submit ourselves to God that his will is bigger and better than ours, and it includes our best. It's really what's best for us. Because ultimately, our prayers should have the, the paradigm of God, God's ways are higher, better than my ways. And, and I should have the humble posture. I should not be coming with this, I, I need you to do this, and I need you to do it now mentality. You know, I, I kind of, I see this with the disciples, right? So it's, uh, it's getting late. There's this massive crowd. Um, they're all getting hungry. And the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, uh, Lord, there, there's... Um, these guys, you know, they're getting tired. It's getting late. Um, we really need to send them home so they might get something to eat. Do you, do you ever find yourself telling God what to do or telling God what time it is or telling God, you know, the details? As, you know, like, does, don't you think sometimes when we, when we assume, not assume, when we know and we declare, God, I know you know. I know that you know that you know. And because I know that you know, I ask and there's peace in that. There's comfort. There's freedom. There's joy in the fact that God knows. And so then Jesus gets into this prayer that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and listen to what this says. He says, pray then like this. I believe that this should be something that's a part of our prayer life. I believe we should pray this. Um, I believe that we should pray beyond this, but this should be a part of our prayer life. And we should pray to, to understand, because I find like the, the more I grow up in the Lord, the more I understand this prayer, and the more I understand the, the essence and the necessity of it. Listen to what he says, because for first century years, this would have been revolutionary. He says, first of all, you remember what they did to him or said to him because he called God his daddy or father or Abba? They, they called him a blasphemer, right? They're like, you called God your father? That's craziness right? But here he says to his disciples, our daddy, our Abba. That, that's revolutionary talk. That's craziness. Like Jesus is saying that I'm going like, to share my daddy with you. That's exactly what he did. And he's inviting us to call God Father, as he does. And he's purchased that privilege for us. I mean, I don't think we should ever call the God creator of the universe the genesis of all things. It's amazing that we have this intimate, 
terminology that we're, that we're invited to use towards him. Hey, hey, call me daddy because I've adopted and made you my very own. Like, I mean, Jesus said to these guys, I just want to make sure that maybe we, we kind of hear this through their ears a little bit. He said, our, say what? Our father who art. And you know, you know what makes heaven heaven? God does. Wherever he is, that's where heaven is. And he says, our father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. And we can't get into all of this, but verse 10 goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And here's, here's what it's saying. It's saying, not my kingdom be, be getting done here and my will be getting done here, but yours. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a statement of lordship. It's a statement of sovereignty. It's a statement acknowledging right from the start, before I start praying for my daily bread and deliver me from, from, from the evil one and from trespasses and these things, I'm going, I'm going, to, I'm going to declare that really what I, what I want ultimately is your kingdom, not my kingdom, and your will and not my will. And, and, I, and to what extent? As it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Do you know that God gets, gets his way in heaven? And, and really, where is God's kingdom being, being planted on earth? In us. In, inside of us. And so as we pray this prayer, what we're doing is we're, we're literally opening the doors of our lives to God's kingdom being expanded across our lives. There, there are areas of our, there's compartments, there's rooms in our lives that need to be exposed to the glory of God, that need to be exposed to the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus. I mean, and, and, and what we're praying here is, God, bring your kingdom and let its, let its, let its dominion reign throughout me. Let your kingdom come. And let your will be done. Because if that's what happens in me, it'll happen through me. I looked at a piece that I have hanging in our bathroom this morning. And, uh, and it says this. It says, if I can remember. Um, um, we're molded and fashioned by what we love. We're molded and fashioned by what we love. Guys, that's so true. And we, we need to, f man, we need to fall in love with the God that is in love with us and let our prayer life reflect that. And when we, and when we, we start asking this very prayer that Jesus has said, when you pray, pray this, we're saying, oh God, you are glorious. You are, you are worthy of adoration. You are hallowed. You are my father. Like, why do you think Jesus starts that way? Do you think it's important that he says that he wants us to remember like who this God is to us relationally? I mean, that's, a, that's an intimate concept that from, from, from God's perspective, where, and that's where truth finds its origin, is, is reality. He's your daddy. And, and God, I want your kingdom more than I want mine. And I want your will more than I want mine. Guys, here's my question today. Would that change the way we pray and what we pray for? Just that concept alone. If, if we filtered our prayers through the concept of 
This is my daddy who loves me more than I could possibly understand and knows what I need before I ask. That doesn't mean that we don't ask, but that we ask with, with an understanding about who we're asking. And then we understand that if I ask for his kingdom and his will, doesn't it change the posture I have when I ask for what I ask for? Because now I'm asking with confidence, not in, not in what I want, but in his heart for me, for me, for what's good. Does that make sense? Guys, ultimately what we want is his kingdom. We want his will above our own. It's so much better. So much better. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. I believe that this is not only green grass and still waters. I, I believe the good shepherd wants to lead us to the, to the provisions for our life that we would overflow into others for sure. But I believe that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I believe that God wants us to feed and feast upon his word. And when we pray this prayer, not only are we asking for phys physical sustenance, but we're also asking for something that's way more profoundly needed in our lives. And we're asking God to impart his word to us through understanding, not just text on a paper, but God, would you write your word through your Holy Spirit upon our hearts? And then it goes on to say, and forgive us our debts. And so often we read this without understanding. It goes on to say, as we have forgiven our debtors. So we're, basically the prayer is, forgive us our debts as we've already forgiven others. Guys, um, this prayer reminds us that we weren't here without the shed blood of the cross, without the willing sacrifice of Christ that did nothing wrong and died in our place. And it puts every other debt against us in perspective. Doesn't that make sense? There's nothing that anyone could do to you. And I know that this is a big statement. But there is nothing anyone could do to you that when measured to what Christ did for you and in relationship to his holiness and our depravity, that it, it's not a drop in the ocean compared to the forgiveness that's been given to you in Christ. And so as we pray this prayer and we pray it understanding that we forgive as we've already forgiven, it really continues to motivate us to uh, to focus on the cross, but also to live as forgiven, forgiving people. And, and that's who we are. Like, we, we've experienced grace, so we give it. And we give it to the extent that it's been given. We've been graciously given, so we graciously give. And he reminds us, I, I would encourage you to include this prayer in your daily prayers. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. And then he clarifies, look, only God can, the enemy is on a, is on a leash. He has to ask. And so we, we come to our daddy and we ask him to deliver us. He's the deliverer. He's the only one that can protect us and prevent us from destruction. And so we ask. And this is, this is God telling us how to pray. But then verse 14 and 15 seems to clarify for us this whole piece from verse 12. For if you forgive others 
their trespasses. And I think it's interesting that Jesus chooses to have a commentary on this part alone. That's kind of interesting. And he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a sobering thought. Because I think what keeps us from being people that express the grace and the forgiveness that's been given to us is we focus on the hurt rather than the healer. And when we put our eyes on the healer and remember from which we've been purchased and, the, and what he did on our behalf, all of a sudden it puts this in perspective and our hearts are changed. I finish with this. Prayer. Prayer is not about anything else but get asking God to give us his heart. Give us his heart. That is the greatest thing that we could possibly ask for. God, I want your heart. I want your will. I want your kingdom. I want your intentions. I want to see everything that I'm struggling with, looking at through your eyes. Because then I believe our circumstances literally change, though they don't change. Because we change. And trust me, that's what God is up to. God is up to conforming us into the image of his Son. And I believe one of the most powerful ways he does that is through prayer. And let me say this. When you're reading the scriptures, we often talk about reading relationally, remembering that this is a love letter. But I also want to say this. When you read the scriptures, you have countless opportunities as you read the scriptures to pray. Think about it. Everything that you're reading through is an opportunity for prayer. I encourage you. Your posture when reading the scriptures should be, I'm, I'm ready to pray through whatever the Spirit would lead me to, convict me in, challenge me in, that this, this becomes my prayers, that I'm praying through the scriptures. Does that make sense? And I promise you that the scriptures will never lead you astray. And the Spirit of God, as he groans in, in our groanings, he, 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 he petitions on our behalf. This is what he longs for, is that the, the, the word might become flesh. That the word, that we might become incarnate. That the Spirit of God would consume our lives and then be an instrument of his to touch the lives and love on others. The worship team's going to come and they're going to play a final song for us. Guys, as this song is played, um, let me, I know you're going to be surprised by this. Uh, let me encourage you to pray. <laughs> but I, I want you to pray what the Lord has stirred in your heart this morning. What is it that, that, that we need to be praying for? Yes, the Lord's prayer. God, give me your heart. But I'm sure you come into this place with needs. Put it in the hands of of the heavenly Father that is capable, willing, and loves you. Those things are important that we understand as we pray.